Welcome to the week in sports cars coming off of a punchy 12 hours of Sebring. My dear co-pilot Graham Goodwin, one that there was plenty of action, most of it involving vehicular fisticuffs. I know that for those who were in attendance at Sebring Graham, they got to watch all 12 hours, provided they were not sleeping off uh, overconsumption of adult beverages. I know that for most others who tried to follow it remotely from wherever, you got to see some of it, but not all of it. We got a couple of uh, questions thrown in about that. Uh, For some of you trying to listen in to it as well, know that there were some uh, significant uh, issues and, and whatnot there as well. So I know that a race took place. I know that the timing and scoring tells us it took 12 hours or so, Graham. I don't know if everybody consumed all 12 hours for the variety of roadblocks put in place, but we should get a bunch of questions about it. Plus, our usual ACO, WEC, European Le Mans series, and more. Some general, some fun, all brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. So since you are the official selector of which categories we use and when we use them, why don't you tell us where we're going first, and let's get fired right in. Well, we will. We're going to take a moment, though. For the second consecutive week, very sadly, we've had to say goodbye to a member of the endurance racing family, and terrible news that just 62 years of age, we lost to Johnny Butte, Johnny Dumfries. Uh, I will admit here, MP, that uh, I was a bit of a fan of his back in the day. Uh, in his Lotus Formula One days, that single season, I did feel he got a bit, a bit of a raw deal there. But of course, for most people, they'll uh, know Johnny's name maybe principally through that Formula One season where he was co-driver. co-driver. He was teammate to none other than Ayrton Senna. Um, but then, of course, as part of the magical trio that brought home the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, win for Jaguar in 1988. Uh, a, a long time on the phone to Andy Wallace, who was shocked to the core, I think it's fair to say, by uh, by the news. Not a single person with anything other than good words to say about the man. And and we mourn him. Um, it's, it's another generation that we're getting into that, um, you know, Johnny, only six years older than I, I, I currently am. Uh, shocking news. Awful for his family and for his many, many friends around in motorsport. And you know, just wanted to, to, to take a moment just to say, you know, how awful that news was coming off the back of a week when we lost, you know, others with Sabine Schmitz, with uh, Murray Walker, with Michael Kramer, and now Johnny Herbert as well. Let's hope for better news moving forward. And let's kick it off with some of that better news by by reflecting a bit, I, I reckon, on the uh, the Sebring 12 hours of Sebring Marshall, um, it wasn't as dramatic uh, in, in the extremes of races last year's 12 hours of Sebring, which was just the most bizarre event, but it was very physical. And it, it struck me, MP, that this one was as good a crossover as you can get, a fusion, if you like, between your two sporting passions you know, endurance racing and WWE wrestling. Well, I actually referred to it uh, in a long feature with John Church from the JDC Miller Motorsports team as UFC Sebring. Uh, 
and that is definitely <laughs> what it looked like and felt like and holy cow yeah as i mentioned vehicular fisticuffs and john mentioning uh, one stat that i found amazing said they put four noses hashtag front nose they put four noses on their race winning cadillac dpi vr not over a 24-hour race over 12 i mean that just speaks to an insane level of contact they were hit on the first lap this being jimmy johnson's spin uh they were obviously trying to clear were unsuccessful but yes whether it was getting hit from behind and then nosing into the car in front uh their drivers just simply hitting someone uh with the front of the car uh side by side contact that took dive planes off it was just a flurry of nose changes on that cadillac uh i believe he said they recall somewhere between eight and nine total hits throughout the race wow just and this is the team that won meaning they survived you would think any yeah. vehicle that endured eight to nine hits would probably be a dnf well i, I mean it's st- astonishing the hit from felipe nazra when he lost control coming out of turn one was was hard enough i thought to put both cars out the race on the spot absolutely um flew into the side of that car but in a race that we saw all seven in the top class lead the uh, lead the field to be blunt that number five car to me mp looked nowhere until all of a sudden it was leading the race um it, you know, it just did not figure in my kind of the the front of my mind about being a prospect for um you know perhaps on the podium but to, that it led at the end of our 11 and then you know we'll come to i think some of the drives of the race but uh, bordet put an absolutely stellar stint in in that car um so let's move on to some questions um and the first one is going to come from jacob bame when i can log back into my computer that's decided to log me out um jacob asks what were your most and least favorite moments of the 12 hours of sebring for hashtag me personally best part was the majority of lmp3 being made of indestructibilitanium he says mm. and uh the worst part was IMSA Video Village. I don't know what that is. Also, could you please tell Turner Motorsport to stop mining bitcoins while on track using IMSA servers? Uh, I suspect that is talking uh, to something that certainly I suffered on this side of the pond, which was the, uh, to be blunt, unacceptable degree to which the video stream was falling over. Yeah, and we have a couple of questions uh, on that specific topic, so we'll save a response there. Favorite and lack of favorite, boy, I would say the overall win, the smallest team in DPI, the least funded team in DPI, the team with the uh, thinnest manufacturer alliance, that being the JDC Miller Motorsports team, just a true David Goliath underdog, all those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we had for a result. Uh, So, so happy for them. I would say that... For where they are right now, this, well, it's not only the biggest victory they've ever had ever in anything they've ever done, but I wouldn't mistake this as, and now they're going to go on a tear and win all the following races. There are some special circumstances that played into this result. You mentioned didn't really factor them in pre-race, Graham. I 
Uh, no, but I meant during the race. Oh, well, we didn't speak about them in our preview as well. I didn't think of them particularly as being a, a real threat, which is strange knowing that in November at the 12 hours of Sebring, they were just on the boil the whole time. But nonetheless, I would say favorite part, great underdog win. I'm a sucker for those. Would say the least favorite, just because it's now happened twice within the last hour of the race. Two races in a row, Chip Ganassi, Cadillac, DPI program. If not ready for a win at Daytona, definitely looked like they would have had P2 in place until that tire went down. Scott Dixon doing Scott mm-hmm. Dixon things, Graham, to close the race, just gapping the field <clears throat> without mercy. And they appeared to be on track for a relatively easy win. And then that clash, as he said, the late call to pit lane. I know we have question or two about the BMW side of that contact that ended up taking the uh, Chip Ganassi Cadillac out of contention for the win. I'd say that's maybe the least favorite, just knowing that if you're talking about earning it, they were there, thereabouts the whole time, quick the entire time, fast and qualifying. They appeared to be on the hunt for a big victory and then to have that taken away through just a weird, unfortunate circumstance. It's two races in a row, my friend. Uh, If you think of the 36 hours of Florida, that being Daytona and Sebring back-to-back, man, they have aced 34 of those 36 hours, (laughs) and then fate has just said, no, we've got some cartoon anvils for you in, again, more or less the last hour of both. So... I'd say that's probably the least favorite because it's always great to see the underdog come through. We know the GTLM result, for example, great result there for WeatherTech Racing as well. The only team with a amateur driver in the lineup um, took some special circumstances there to make that possible for them. The Corvettes, obviously, quick like you wouldn't believe. Some adversity didn't quite pan out for them. So, Happy for the JDC Miller side, but then again, also sad if you're talking about just straight up earning it on potential and demonstration <sighs> until that fateful clash. Uh, definitely feel sad for the uh, the Ganassi team. What about you? Um, the good part of it was it was good to see some proper wheel-to-wheel racing um, in terms of the, uh, the highlights. I think actually, you know what, a pro-am winning GTLM for the last 12 hours of Sebring and GTLM, uh, bittersweet. I think it's fair to say, um, it looked to me like Corvettes had come back from the dead. They, they made that poor call that put the car that had been dominantly leading back in fourth and didn't look like it was going to be back in the, uh, in the hunt, but, uh, a little bit of luck on timing of, a, uh, of the yellow got, uh, Antonio Garcia, who, by the way, it just seems to get quicker. Um, a, astonishing driver, Antonio Garcia. Um, they like to have it in the bag. And I'm probably, I've always been taught, you know, unless you've got something nice to say, don't say anything nice or uh, don't say anything. So I won't say anything about the, the hits on Garcia um, from Canada Felipe. But um, I, I thought that robbed them of a deserved win. But um, great result for WeatherTech Racing. Great result for Porsche. Four wins in a row in GTLM now um, at the 12 Hours of Sebring. Uh, that was, I think, a good side of it. Bad side of it was 
some big accidents. The the incident between the two GTD cars that saw the Allegra car and the GRT, the Grasso Racing Team, Lamborghini, that was a big hit. Um, and then the huge incident for Timothy Bure uh, that saw that car destroyed on the exit of Turn 1. Don't like to see accidents that with, with that much damage and you know rapid deceleration too much contact i think i would say is the is the downside um it was though a race that kind of kept the entertainment levels up um i'll I'll admit i'll be honest with you to increasingly not being a fan of the way in which four course yellow is managed it's you know on the upside it does mean i can go and make a four course meal for my and other families whilst they get the field sorted out on the downside yeah you could argue it keeps the racing close but it's a little artificial and it's getting a little old now i'll be honest with you to my mind so the two things there yellow management and to be blunt some of the driving standards need a sensible look right now you raise a great point there i know that we had more than a few people uh suggest that yeah uh we i know it's a very general thing to say but uh there are more than a few comments about boy yellow handling in some scenarios double wave arounds and whatnot and uh, (laughs) oddly and I, i i wish i knew exactly why looking at the amount of yellow caution period time we had the highest number the the most amount of minutes for caution periods i think since 2017 i believe 1817 and i'm not saying that there was a yep. higher number then just in terms of a metric that has been kept by the official timekeepers our good pal the uh, Drigger family, uh, when they started including that in their uh, their final race report, just looking back over the past five or six years, however many it's been since they started including it, Saturday night's race actually had the highest amount of time lost due to yellows. Interestingly, though, only by like five or six minutes, Graham, and yeah, so still got a dis- but still a distance record, which is astonishing. And the other thing that I found fascinating. I think it might have been last year and then maybe 2019, 18, whatever it was, but something like three out of the last four or five years, the amount of yellow flag time. It's been two hours between like two hours and 21 minutes and two hours and 28 minutes. So three instances (laughs) where we've had, it's been two hours, it's been 20 minutes plus one to five, six, or seven more, but three within just a band, an incredibly tight band uh, of the same time period. Another thing just wanted to mention, and this is going back to last week's show where we were asked to predict who might be winning, who might be most competitive (laughs) in the five classes, and as we know and knew before, my predictions, certainly the curse, kiss of death, so... Uh, I think there's someone who asks, uh, when am I going to start charging teams to not pick them? One of the items that we mentioned, uh, one of the items brought up was in GTLM on the subject of the number 79 Porsche, the WeatherTech racing effort, how will they manage the race? What kind of strategy will they use knowing that they have in Cooper McNeil, the only non-pro in the category uh, in an all-pro class, 
how will they manage his drive time? Will they say, hey, uh, you're here and you're not here to be minimized, so we're just going to use you a whole bunch but potentially limit their potential in the class? Or are they going to use him strategically but not excessively? And we have an answer, uh, taking a look at drive time for everybody in the field, at least as I was able to find Graham among all the cars that finished the race. Cooper McNeil had the least amount of drive time. And that's not just GTLM. I actually mean the entire field across, oh, granted, we have five classes, but three are pro-am. So if you look at where Cooper fit in, even among the pro-am classes, uh, we saw Cooper in the car for one hour and 50 minutes and 11 seconds. And there are certainly people who drove a short amount of time, but their cars were crashed out and they just simply weren't able to pile up the minutes. But quite interesting to see that in their victory, there was indeed a massive tipping of the scales in the favor of Matthew Jaminet, four hours and 55 minutes, just call it five hours round numbers, and uh, Matthew Campbell, four hours and 59 minutes. Again, we'll just call that roughly five hours as well. So of the 12 hours of Sebring, uh, then you add in pit time as well uh, for um, Jaminet and Campbell. And so Matthew gets up to four hours and 59 minutes and five seconds total, including time in the pits. Campbell gets to uh, five hours and three minutes. You add all that up, you add in Cooper McNeil's one hour and 50, and basically the two Porsche pros were in the car for, let's just call it, 10 hours, the 12 hours of Sebring. So not diminishing Cooper's contribution, just saying last week we posed the question, how will the one team with a AM in their driver lineup approach the race? Clearly they said, hey, we're going to meet minimum drive time and more, but uh, we're going to rely heavily on our pros. It paid off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and it may well be that that was a tactic that was malleable depending on where the car was sitting. If they, they had uh, an opportunity to be in the hunts and to win, uh, that that could have been um, changeable. But uh, you can't argue with it. It was very effective and, uh, and more power to them. Let's move on. Um, next up, and it is, well, refers back to um, another DPI uh, incidents we saw through that race. Comes from uh, D.A. Neil Summerskill. Um, he says, is the penalty for exceeding drive time in IMSA too much? 48, the Ally uh, Cadillac was put to the back of the DPI class. Surely, he says, stop hold penalty for the exceeded time. It was 50 seconds, I think, over the permitted four hours and a six-hour period for Simon Paginot, wasn't it? Um, would be more reasonable, says D.A. Neal. Uh, in NASCAR, you can reverse your car in pit lane, have fights in the pits without a penalty, it seems. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so you're suggesting a stop and hold Maybe penalty an uh, yeah. and a fight. I like I that. I think a fight sounds good. Yes, that I love the sound of that. <sighs> Daniel, or D.A. Nile, I should say. Yeah, this is one of those weird things where there's just seemingly no gray area for IMSA on this subject of drive time penalties. And 
this has been raised multiple times. Wayne Taylor was hit by it. He, you know, went to the moon. He was just so enraged, just exploded out of the planet. Uh, this obviously hit uh, Starworks. I mean, this has hit a number of teams. Magnus, I think, as well uh, over the year, recent years. As I know to be the case, the reason IMSA has effectively a zero-tolerance policy, you could be over by one second, you could be over by an hour, they're not treating it with any shade or difference, is because teams do actually have time monitoring on pit lane, on their timing stands, to know exactly where their drivers are at to mm-hmm. comply with both minimum and not exceeding the maximum. And so this is a readily and easily trackable item. And I know, having asked IMSA race director Bo Barfield about this more than once, he said, hey, we aren't the type on this specific subject of drive time violations. We don't handle it. We aren't the type where we're just going to watch and monitor because they have the same inform- they're watching the same information that the teams have on their drivers and drive time. We're not the type to just wait, see them violate it, and then uh, hit them hard. If we see, keeping in mind, we've got dozens of cars and 100-plus drivers, and, you know, there's a lot going on. It's not as if we just truly focus all our time looking at drive time to make sure we can keep teams from violating it. But he said, we do our best to keep an eye on all of it, and if we see someone is getting close to exceeding or not meeting, we're not averse to sending a little SMS message to the timing stand to say, hey, just, you know, we're seeing that you're getting close to a violation. Just, you know, uh, it's our way of trying to tell you, please don't put us in a position to have to penalize you. But again, when possible, not claiming it's 100% accuracy and perfection at every round, I do know that IMSA tries to get the teams when such things pop up on their end. Let's just say... Uh, a little yellow flag alert has popped up on a driver's name. They will act and reach out instead of just drop the hammer once uh, a drive time penalty has occurred. So, yeah, uh, are there other ways it could be handled? Definitely. This is an overarching question, which we raise from time to time, Graham, which is why do they treat things so harshly and severe in sports cars? Realize that sports car racing is not a single thing. It's many sanctioning bodies throughout the world. But in general, there's a trend in sports cars to have a ton of rules. Many that you don't find elsewhere since we have multiple drivers in the car compared to a NASCAR, F1, etc. IndyCar. We've got a ton of rules. And uh, frequently there's a very harsh treatment when there's a violation. That's the approach, the mindset. Wow, should we be that hard? Should we be that draconian? Should there be some sort of, let's name check a friend team of ours, should there be a gradient if your drive time violation is under 15 seconds? You Mm -hmm. must serve a stop and go plus something. Uh, If it's one, you know, again, if it exceeds 15 seconds up to one minute, it is a stop and hold plus this. If it's more than, again, I'm not saying you need to come up with 20 levels of penalties, but just would it be worth a, all right, 
again, you've got tools to track this and you got it wrong. And, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances maybe to consider whatever. But, hey, we're talking just a little smidge of time. Penalty, but not one that's maybe going to ruin your race, possibly. Who knows? Uh, Hey, yeah, okay, this is maybe a little bit too much. Uh, We're going to give you a slightly harsher one. And then the, all right, (laughs) you guys weren't even trying, which I think is the the general feeling of the Pagano drive time uh, foul here, Graham, which is a, all right, (laughs) it's not even close. So come on. In that case, I would say, yeah, if you have someone who's clearly flaunting a violation, not surprised to see a sanctioning body say, yeah, you're getting the maximum from us. There's one other one that happened, which I know, uh, how's this? And you may know about the, you know, you may be fully aware of it. The number 16 right Porsche about two and a half hours to go received a penalty the the mythology was a camera man or person on pit lane um believe the framing was a broadcast camera person got in the way of one of Wright's, uh i believe outside tire changers tripped up uh that mechanic and while tripping, they let go of the new tire they were bringing with them to put right. on the uh, the car. That what ended up finishing second, I believe. Um, it did. Yep. Let go of you know while tripping and falling, uh, let go of the tire. As I guess most of us would expect, if you're tripping and falling, you tend to want to free your hands to soften your blow. Um, apparently, driver Yan Halen. I always think of the name van halen when i say that name Indeed. uh yan who is i believe getting into the car uh happened to see this and just out of instinct seeing a free tire potentially rolling out into uh the lane you know the hot part of pit lane stopped it i would say that might be instinctual graham compared to He's going to have his mind working at a million miles an hour, run through the rule yep. book, and contemplate all the rules and whatnot. Mechanic trips, let's go the tires, one would expect. Yan sees it, goes, oh, stops the tire so it doesn't become a problem by getting out into pit lane. Come to pit lane for a penalty to serve a penalty because drivers are not allowed to act as crew members. That yeah, one, that's, not, that, that's no, no. I mean, now I, I just wanted to clear up. I did at least check with the team and said, "Hey, I, you know, as I heard it framed, it was you know, a camera person tripping." And I was told, "No, I mean, I know that you know, as we understand, the mechanic just tripped." Now, right, however it happened, this is not intent. This is just, hey, a no. person's falling over while carrying something heavy and is trying to not bash their face into the ground. Of course, they're going to try and stop themselves. Um, and just the thought of not letting something heavy and potentially problem causing roll into pit lane again, uh, to me, I do the, I think everyone would do the same thing in, in Halen's situation. Nonetheless, there's there's no advantage being drawn there. I mean, um, I'm sure you've seen as I've seen where things not unlike that could go horribly wrong. There's one I can recall back in the day in the Le Mans series with, um, the Pescarolo uh, pitting 
uh, pit in with the old pits, the pits down the hill, uh, in the very first pit garage. And I can't recall which driver it was coming in in one of the two factory courages, saw the guy at the right, so the left rear of the Pescarolo stand up, stumble slightly backwards, was worried that he was going to hit him because it's very narrow there and had the choice, take his line and potentially hit the mechanic or avoid him and hit the pit wall. He hit the pit wall and wrote off the tub of that car. Um, it can go very, very badly wrong indeed. And, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that kind of penalty. At that point, I would have liked to have seen a little bit of common sense in race control, to be honest with you. So that's where the at the discretion of race director that, or whatever, that's, that's where I think you got to go. OK, yeah. yes, technically, by rule. 16 car committed a penalty. No question about that. There's no one that will argue that Yan Halen committed a penalty. Um, you swallow the whistle on that one. You don't blow the whistle on that one. Uh, that's just yeah. so ticky tack. It's so petty where you go, oh man, that's the kind of thing that people never forget. Every conversation you have going forward with uh, anyone from the race control team in the back of your mind, you're like, you guys actually thought that was a good thing to do to us. Wow. Wow. So anyways, let's move on, brother. Where, uh, where should we go? Where should we go? Uh, really, really, really quick one this time. Driver of the race asks you and from S- our, our friend SRA smoking puppy, eight, four, one, uh, real quick one. Who was your driver of the race? Christoph Bushu. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if he was in the race, but in my mind, he's always there and, hitting people i mean it has to be my french fry right i mean sebastian bourdais put in a stint for the ages in a car that should have befuddled him and sent him to the back the back of the class everything that sebastian hates about a race car's handling is what happened to him with the (laughs) upper rear wing element falling off uh and that was again after the back of the car had been hit countless times this is a guy as i wrote and again, you might check it out on racer.com as a really fun interview with John Church. Sebastian is just known throughout the industry from F1 to Champ Car, IndyCar, IMSA, anywhere. He needs the back of any race car to be a thousand percent stable. That's what he needs to perform at his highest. As long as the back of the car is rock solid, not moving around at all, he'll manage the understeer up front. That's how he makes his speed. Very different from, say, a Scott Dixon. Dixon's the total opposite. He needs the front of the car rock solid, and he'll deal with the back moving around and oversteer like you wouldn't believe it. Losing that rear wing element turned that Cadillac into something that only Scott Dixon should have been able to thrive in. And yet Sebastian, by doing some pretty smart, quick adjustments to the anti-roll bars to use them at maximum stiffness up front to induce a little bit of understeer, maximum softness at the rear to give it as much grip and be as stable as can be. He tried to replicate what he wanted, but it still was nowhere near close. Uh, Church revealed that the center of aerodynamic pressure moved from the back to the front by 7%. And out of 100%, 7 does not sound like a lot. A significant aerodynamic change is 1%. 
COP movement forwards or backwards. It went forward 7%. The thing was effectively standing on its tippy toes, going around the track, trying to fall over, nose over on itself. And so while it gave Seb some improved straight line speed that made it hard for uh, the Mazda to get past him, you also saw him locking up the brakes and losing all kinds of, uh, of gap under braking. So anyways, without a doubt, Sebastian Bourdais, what he did in those closing laps was hero- near heroic. One of the finest stints I've ever seen him put in in anything, knowing all the adversity he was facing in a car that truly went from something that he loved and was going quickly with to worst case scenario for him and he still won the effing race just crazy what about you yeah. uh Conor de Filippi for me um it's given <laughs> us so much to talk about oh my god <laughs> no i mean i yeah, i'm gonna agree with you i thought i thought um uh, in a race that was as tight as that we saw two stints from drivers in uh, DPIs that were standout. One of them was Scott Dixon until the incident on his way into the pits. It was, uh, you know, he drove away from the field and so did Sebastian Bourdais. The third driver I'll give an honorable mention to here was the aforementioned um, super Spaniard, uh, Antonio Garcia, who I thought was stellar in the uh, in the Corvette. I've not actually looked at the data, but my guess is that will look very good for him and not so good for most of the others in GTLM because I, th- I think his lap times were significantly better and once they gave him something to chase he chased uh, you know the other other thing i was going to throw in and this is just having looked through all the various drive times um not only was antonio quick like a bunny as he normally is i was really surprised by how the drive time was divvied up uh in the number three corvette so you'd think with antonio his full-time teammate jordan taylor maybe the two of them would do the bulk of the driving with endurance driver Nicky Katzberg, you know, definitely getting some time in the car. But how would they split up the 12 hours? Would it be four, four, and four? Would it be, you know, five and five and two? How would they do that? Antonio was in the car for, I'll just call it six and a half hours. <laughs> wow. I mean, the, the real surprising thing, Jordan Taylor, two and a half hours. And Nicky wow. was around about three. But Antonio truly... Uh, boy, he he did himself uh, a full sailing six hours at the Glen at Sebring in terms of drive time. Uh, and then you look at the four car, you look at the sister car, and it was far more balanced. Tommy Milner, four hours and 12. Nick Tandy, four hours and four. And uh, Alexander Sims, 336. So again, not exactly equal, but pretty darn close. Yeah, really, to your point, when... Garcia is on a mission, on a mission for a mission for God, ma'am. Um, you just leave him in the car. I think that's the other takeaway here. There you go. Let's move on. Uh, let's uh, get a couple of questions here that we're going to run through just quickly. Uh, one from Chris Ward, one from James Counter, both talking about the MX-5 Cup. Uh, Chris saying, is it the best kept secret in racing? Seriously, having a bad race in a long time. And James suggesting, why don't they give the WeatherTech grid to do a qualifying race in MX-5s? Uh, it, 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 I have to say, it's been very entertaining stuff. Uh, I don't want to dwell too long on it, but a very worthy addition to the IMSA uh, the IMSA package MP. I had the fortune of 
speaking with a senior IMSA official over the weekend and raised this topic and said, I know that Itamitsu MX-5 is part of your offerings, but good Lord, is this the best part of your offerings? I was trying to be <laughs> polite, and I'm not downplaying the WeatherTech Championship or Michelin Pilot, just saying like, holy cow. You know, if we're talking about support series, the the smallest, slowest, least powerful cars are providing possibly the best entertainment uh, during IMSA weekends. And again, it was raised a wee bit cheekily, but I said, knowing that this is something you all are, are looking after, is this something you have heard from other championships saying, hey, uh, whether we're NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever it might be, how can we get us some of this uh, MX-5 Cup action going? And I thought it was just a bit of a, it, well, it was a bit of a blind question, but I also thought I was going to get back a pretty rapid no. I heard the opposite. I said, yes, <laughs> we actually have. We have other series, not relate, you know, we have non-sports car series saying, hi, yeah, we've seen these little crazy bastards. <laughs> how do we get them on our race calendar? You know, how can we get them, uh, you know, sometime soon, next year? You tell us. We want them. So I think that's really just a, a glowing endorsement for the, the fun and amazing finishes and all that that we're seeing with MX-5 Cup. So, yeah, it's not like it's just Startagram. It's been the, the best-kept secret for a super long time. I'll always mention, because I do take pride in it for whatever reason, I was an entrant in the inaugural uh, MX-5 Cup championship uh, when the SCCA Pro Series unveiled it in, I think, 2006. So that was fun, having been there on the ground floor and having seen how amazing it could be. And it has just become so much more. So, yeah, and I, I know for a fact that there are a lot of people who time their flights, uh, senior <laughs> officials from other series, and you na- no joke. Again, I can't, well, I'm not going to get into who and all that, but... I was told without doubt uh, that, yes, there are indeed people who come in to be here, if not for the entirety of the event, at least for a couple, you know, one or two days. And some of them truly are timing their arrival uh, and getting into Sebring to make sure they can see at least one of the MX-5 Cup races. Like, that's That's just crazy. That's fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Right, we're going to move on to one of the big talking points of the race. I didn't hear you. I I couldn't hear you. You were breaking up a little bit there. Uh, Sorry, that's uh, a little bit of humor uh, on the subject. Right. Anyway, we've got multiple questions from the likes of Kieran Pires, Federico, Tom Firth, Daniel Summerskill, and others. I'll, I'll chuck it all into one big heck a bunch of stuff here it's the streaming product it was the quality of delivery to the listening and watching audience uh, of which i was one and i have to tell you that i heartily agree with some of the comments that were are coming out here um what went wrong uh what are they going to do to fix it um are they aware that a substantial proportion of the watching audience who were being a community of their own as they were watching it were spending much of their time discussing and criticizing the stream and not the race raise this question 
with a uh, another IMSA representative today of what happened, where to come from, so on and so forth. I know this is going to come as a surprise, Graham. Not everybody wants to talk about their failings in great depth. Uh, no, I'm, really? I know. I learned this this morning uh, <laughs> after being a practitioner of it for the majority of my life. Uh, I was told without great specific, well, frankly, I wouldn't say great specifics, without almost any specifics, the issue emanated from the broadcaster uh, that this is something coming out of NBC. So right. the now I know that might sound like a, well, duh. Well, compared to there was some form of website issue or something in between transmission-wise that was causing a problem, I'm told the uh, ongoing frustrating and problematic choppity choppity inconsistent stream was a problem back at the host broadcaster and what was being sent out i do not have info on well when did they recognize it what did they do to rectify it and i don't wish i had it but i don't and i doubt i'm gonna get it but i do know that uh, within imsa yeah they saw and heard your uh, problems, frustrations, and comments aplenty as it was happening. And yes, uh, did pose the question here of, hey, have you guys ever thought to just go to something like YouTube, which is pretty rock solid and so on and so forth? Owing to the problem, the root of the problem here, wouldn't have mattered, right? Uh, YouTube has to receive from somewhere. And if the peop- if the place sending it is the source of the issue uh, could be free on anything and it's still going to be a problem so in this specific case no real easy workaround of oh change this for the future in how it's consumed don't put it on imsa.com put it somewhere like in this specific case wouldn't have mattered so i can only assume i didn't have an answer on it but it's one of those things that you say grant well naturally this is going to happen that there have been conversations about, okay, what are we now doing? What's the safeguard to make sure this doesn't happen again? Uh, And if it were to happen, what practices are you putting in place to react faster? What other, you know, is there a backup to the thing? Is there a big red button you've installed for someone to put? Whatever it is, what are you going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? It will happen again because that's life. So what will you then do to be able to react faster and make it a lesser problem so uh yeah in this case imps is obviously the place receiving the slings and arrows but uh appears that uh, this is one that goes up the food chain just a little bit let's uh, get through another one hopefully reasonably quickly gtd qualifying in the new format with two drivers one going for the grid one going for points uh made its debut at um sebring what did you think of that? And that question comes from Nikolai B. I am in agreement, Nikolai B. Having consumed it for the first time, having see it play out for the very first time, I think switching the order would actually be a little bit more compelling. So for those who aren't aware, at Sebring, 
in GTD only, and this will happen for the rest of the year now, IMSA has said we're going to do a two-tiered qualifying procedure. First, we're going to have the AMs, or I should say the chosen AM in each entry, go out and set a lap time. And wherever you qualify, that is where you will start. So AMs are the ones setting where the cars are ordered for the start of the race. Great. The pros then go out in a separate session, and it's all about speed. Nothing to do with starting position. Starting positions are locked in. You then have the thing that we haven't been able to see that much. Uh, More often than not, we see the AMs put in the car for qualifying. We know that there's potential left. Seeing maximum ragged speed, we often don't get in that scenario. So IMSA said, cool, well, we're going to spice it up a bit, have a second and separate session where the chosen pro climbs in, and it's all about maximum speed. And to incentivize you showing maximum speed and not sandbagging, we're going to award points. And so those obviously feed into the season-long championship and will indeed play a factor in how uh, the the title is uh, resolved in GTD. Got it. AMs, position, pros, speed, slash points. It didn't really deliver a lot of excitement knowing that the grid was already set. And so for those who are really curious to see the maximum potential of drivers, awesome. I don't know how much of a thing that ended up being, Nikolai. So I'm in agreement with you. I would think, and this is maybe negative pressure, (laughs) I think maybe inverting it might be somewhat interesting. Have the pros go first, set their super ragged, crazy, awesome, amazing lap times, points are awarded, then have the AMs go out and set the grid on, or set the uh, set the grid uh, positions, and to see. I, this is the only thing I can come up with, Graham. I don't know. I don't know if you agree, but uh, we'll just say Earl Bamber goes out in the first session, puts their EBM Porsche on air quote pole, but we again know that the position is about to be wiped away. But we know that he was fastest sitting there P one. What about his team owner slash? co-driver rob ferial going out well rob your car is currently p1 what do you do to it we know that whatever lap best lap time you said is where you're going to start what kind of pressure does that apply knowing like hey awesome uh if rob goes out and sets the fastest among the ams well then you stay first but what if he's 12th i mean (laughs) just trying to think of like you know, what is that conversation like getting out of the And I'm just, again, I'm not, this is not specific to Earl and Rob, I'm not picking on Rob, or I'm just, they came to mind. What is that conversation like with Bamber? Like, damn, mate. I mean, I just had the effing thing in P1. What'd you do? I'll tell you the. Is that a th- Do you think there's it, anything there? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something. I think, actually, I like, I like your solution. I think it's neat and tidy. It would be interesting to see how it plays out. When we moved in WEC to have the two tier qualifying system and that you had to have the non-professional driver in the program class uh one of those two qualifiers it added something and it added something from the point of view of the driver's enjoyment because let's face it these guys do not get new tires and low tanks very often in their racing uh so to actually be 
uh, one entrusted with qualifying, it, it gives them more out of that experience. And I'll be blunt as well. We saw um, very quickly that helping, I think, to actually improve the driving of a couple of the um, the non-professional drivers. So it, it, it felt a bit messy, but it's new and it needs to kind of bed in. But I do like the... The, the neatness of thought that is there. It's a bit like, if you like, the hyperpole thing at Le Mans. Yeah. I hated the idea of it. I loved the way it played out. And I think when we get back to the point where we've got fans trackside, I genuinely think that will be something that fans will look forward to being a part of. Is you know, the, truly the cars driving at, you know, just a bit over 10 tenths at times to squeeze the last tenths out of the machinery. So I hope they can find a way forward because yeah, uh, it, it is tiresome, isn't it, when we see series, championships, race organisers trying to find ways of adding to the entertainment quotient or the relevance quotient and just making things more complicated. Um, it, it is complicated enough already. And there's not two races that we, we cover in a given year that have got even remotely the same rule book nowadays. Let's move it on. Maybe we had a third on. tier where the team manager or team owner has to do laps <laughs> as well. A truck, we'll add a fourth with a truckie. Just telling you, yeah. if you look after hospitality for a team, you might be the yeah. fifth layer of qualifying for GTD coming up. Social media manager. Oh That'll be fantastic. Gosh. <laughs> let's move on to some of the story strands leading into Sebring and out from it. And let's go to Sean Crockett, who asked about the BMW uh, and the potential for them going LMDH. Now, this was uh, one of your stories on racer.com. Uh, Ray Holt Letterman hoping for an LMDH announcement from BMW. Do you think there's any chance of this? Are they just dreaming? Meantime, right turn lover adds in. Uh, he believes BMW won the manufacturers presumed to use hydrogen for their top level sports coverage return if they go lmdh would hydrogen still happen what say you about uh, bmw and the lmd husky thanks for the question sean and rtl i believe that's also a german broadcaster am i right am i wrong I uh, wouldn't have done the story with uh bobby ray hall and the person who founded ray hall letterman lanigan racing wouldn't have done the story with bob about hoping to get a bmw lmdh contract if I wasn't aware that indeed BMW is very serious from what I have been hearing uh, about joining in the LMDH party. So I think there's more than a chance of this. I don't think there's a lot of dreaming taking place. I would be very surprised if BMW is not part of the inaugural LMDH season in 2023. As for the hydrogen part, obviously LMDH does not include although hydrogen starts with an H, does not include permission to use hydrogen as a form of propulsion. So if BMW were to indeed embrace hydrogen-propelled things, uh, it certainly sounds like it wouldn't be done with a prototype that they might race in IMSA in the WEC. Could there be anything else they were to do? Again, I don't know, but would a manufacturer uh do both but again we'd have to find out at least for right now meaning whatever you know when hydrogen is allowed to compete at le mans uh, hydrogen powered cars are allowed i should say could they do something there as well obviously they could would it be too bizarre graham if 
for a manufacturer like BMW to have an LMDH and then also do something with hydrogen? Could you try and go early with hydrogen and get a garage 56 entry or, or 69 entry or whatever the hell number we might be at? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but again, just to answer the immediate question, the only thing I've heard of is LMDH, which tells us that hydrogen certainly would not be part of that plan. Yeah, we've got uh, Brendan Kratzer asking who else might join in the fun. Gustavo Bamba gets on the uh, the bandwagon uh, about BMW as well. Um, uh, in- interesting stuff. I don't think we're quite ready yet, are we, to take all the boxes for our listening and reading uh, friends out there as to who we believe might be next in the frame. But I know both you and I are working on a number of leads on stories about uh, what some very big brands are planning to do in the near future. Sorry, I'm taking away a rubber band that Rosie has found and is bi- currently biting. Thank you, baby girl. Uh, I'm trying to keep this from being something that I have to clean up when I get to their litter boxes over the weekend. Uh, yeah, I do have Brandon and Gustavo and anyone else. Thanks, Rose. Uh, I do have a the initial bones of a uh, story about LMDH and manufacturers that I have heard of from quality Rosie. All right. Uh, heard from quality sources are coming or very seriously considering. So I know you are working on something similar as well. I know we're also trying not to cross swords a little bit here on uh, duplicating. So yes, do indeed uh, hope to maybe have that done by the end of the day. Who knows? Uh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver a problem I frequently have. Uh, let me just look through the, the remaining items here to see if there's anything to pick before we move on to whatever category you choose. Uh, Ryan Terpstra mentioning, uh, can you share a story of an endurance race winner going through the wars like JDC did and coming out the other side of winter? Uh, boy, it sure has been a while. So I think they're, they're the gold standard right now. Uh, our pal Andrew Backa, the Baxter, says keeping the GTD Pro should be one specification with GTD train rolling. Sebring is a great example of why. Not only did it line up with a silver win GTLM overall, proving a great storyline, but without that car, the 25 BMW would have won GTLM despite a penalty for punting the leader. And, yeah, uh, there's another question here uh, from Daniel Summersdale about who should get the Golden Bowling Ball Award. Um I know uh, I had mentioned I think IMSA needs to send 10 security guards down to uh, the 25 BMW pits to make sure that uh, Connor gets out of the track safely. Uh, He responded to that saying, talking about, you know, the uh, clash with Scott Dixon and uh, the the Cadillac there. I wasn't even referring to that. It just seemed, and this is not a metric that I've gone through and documented each time, but just seems like, boy, throughout the 12 hours if the 25 was involved in hitting something it seemed like connor was in the car does that mean he's a bad guy no he's a phenomenal driver but uh maybe he put a little bit too much red mist powder in his drink bottle uh for this event it happens to many great drivers at least once in their career so uh this just seemed to be a case where my brain captured multiple instances of him and that really awesome BMW that can take and give a hit, give a good body blow, uh, being involved in the wars. Uh, let me see. Is there anything else here? All right, let's close on this. This is possibly my favorite 
um, or one or two here. John Day, you sent in a question here. I don't know if you had a question from John before. I don't know if you recall his name. Um, Why don't you take that one as soon as I finish this little quick one here. Uh, Nikolai B. is back saying, concerning the hottest Lamborghini at Sebring, why did the car have a Wi-Fi hotspot? How is it found? And what could a team use this for? Yes, indeed. Qualified on the pole. Was then no longer qualified on the pole when IMSA found a Wi-Fi hotspot inside of their Huracan GT3. Uh, I asked the same question. Uh, Why would you have a Wi-Fi hotspot in a car? And what possible purpose would it be? Other than Sebring can have spotty Wi-Fi connections at times in Green Park and maybe GRT Grasser Racing Team was trying to pick up a little extra cash uh, by selling uh, Wi-Fi connections from a car racing around the track. Indeed, the answer was, I, the answer I was given by an IMSA official, they were streaming live on Facebook from inside the car. So that's why one, I guess, would need a Wi-Fi hotspot inside of your professional racing vehicle qualifying for the mobile one 12 hours of sebring uh i don't know if it was someone's phone pointed outwards to give live in-car camera i don't know if it was pointed at the driver and uh between shifts and steering um driver was trying to tap and type away uh answers to questions coming in through a facebook live streaming session but i was told that they streamed Effing Facebook live from inside the car during qualifying. Uh, so, assuming Wait, that's which, all which, accurate, that's bonkers, man. Well, if, if quite aside from anything else, that in itself is against regulations. Yes, a hundred percent. They have a broadcaster <laughs> who they have like a big contract with, and that yeah. broadcaster is like in charge of that stuff and has domain over it. So when you circumvent by saying, hey, we're going to put on our own little in-car party, uh, they don't like that. So they penalize you, which they did. So, yeah, I just, again, that that just blew my mind. Um, And uh, if it was a team that was new to IMSA, you might go, oh, okay, well, they, you know, first time they're figuring, no, no, they know IMSA. They won big races. They know the deal. Uh, I don't know how this got cooked up. I don't know if the driver did it when no one was looking. Again, I can't give you any of those details because I don't know them. But this is one of those, all right, yeah, no, I totally understand why you penalized them and took away the poll. Uh, this was clearly, clearly a decision to do something that they knew should not happen. Okay. Uh, we'll finish off with, as you quite rightly say, John Day's uh, question here. Hi, John. Uh, with GTD Pro starting at Daytona in January 2022, will the new 2022 GT3 cars be homologated early for the race or not? Going off the Bathurst 12 hours in past years with some competitive 70 years older generation cars, including the Aston Martins, uh, as the race was held before the new cars homologated and BOP'd. I think the answer here is um, I don't suppose them to give a flying stuff on that front. I think as long as they've had a chance to... Uh, have a look at those cars to put, uh, apply their own BOP to those cars. I, f- I absolutely firmly expect that what is going to be a very important new class for IMSA will see at least two, just say that, at least two new cars in GTD Pro. Um, at least two. Uh, that they, they being the 
promised new Porsche and the BMW M4 uh, GT3. I think it's fair to say, MP, that we possibly expect a third. Yes, I, I yeah, feel very safe go. in saying that. I also feel saying very safe in saying, where are we going next, brother? Uh, we're going to go to my bailiwick, which is Weck Aslam's Elms and Aco, the world of ACO rules racing uh, outside of the North American continent. Leave your wick and Bailey alone, as I <laughs> frequently have to tell you. This is a family show, you dirty, Indeed. dirty I'm bird. I am. Uh, I am. 37 questions, by the way, sent in for IMSA. So thank you wow. to all of you who sent those in. Got to as many as we could. Uh, we're going to kick off here. Hey, Sean Crockett, you're back, and you got the first two. He says, now all the excitement of Ferrari doing LMH has died down a little. Do you see any other manufacturers taking up this more expensive option, or most or all of uh, the ones to still make announcements? Head down the less expensive LMDH route. What do you know, brother? What are you hearing on the hypercar level? Uh, the answer here is that you referred to the fact that we're working on some parallel courses at the moment. This is mine, and there is one particular manufacturer that I am tracking at the moment, uh, trying to find a little bit of confirmation on a little bit of a sniff and a little bit of a uh, – more than a rumor, less of a confirmation. Um, but I think there is a live program. Uh, I think it's with a significant name, um, and – the key to this, is it going to be LMH? Is it going to be LMDH? Because that's going to have all sorts of knock-on effects in terms of who's involved, when might it happen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the answer is we're not done with LMH yet. Um, there is not absolute confirmation that we're going to see another manufacturer in there. But I absolutely know for a fact that at least one additional significant name is considering going down the uh, LMH route rather than LMDH for a program which I expect to be uh, announced in time for 2023. So the answer is we're not done yet. It's going to make things very, very interesting moving forward. Um, not least, of course, when we get into balancing these damn things. Uh, so watch this space at the moment. I'm not quite ready to take the wraps off that story either, uh, but we will uh, get to that as quickly as we can. It's Skoda. Sorry, brother, I couldn't help, but I just had to give it away. I wish it was. I, I do like a Skoda. All right. Uh, let's see. Sean also asked, with Aston Martin's departure uh, from GTE, unless something changes, I uh, assume that eventually Aston's privateer cars will show up in GTE AM. says, do we think we will have to wait until Lance Stroll decides he's had enough of F1 and wants to win Le Mans to see a works Aston team return to the WEC? and Circuit de la Sarth. I think yeah, we've, we, we sort of got into this one last week. I'll say this just, just quickly. It comes down to whether or not somebody in the extended Aston Martin family can find somebody that wants to invest in a program and they've got the, uh, the drive to be able to avoid the inevitability of that potential quantum uh, quantity of dollarage um, being shoved into the f1 budget i think if if they can find somebody that wants to fund a program and it is one of the brands that you you have to say there's a prospect that might be the case 
But right now, I'm not hearing anything is imminent. I have heard more than once that people are interested in seeing whether or not there might be that potential. But right now, not looking at that being a thing for 2023, which I'll be honest with you, MP, makes me very sad. I think they've done enough in world uh, endurance racing over the last decade, two decades almost, um, that I would have liked to have seen them part of what's coming for 2023 uh, but it doesn't appear at the moment to be an immediate prospect of that whilst the f1 dream is being played out matthew license says dragon speed suggested graham on twitter mm-hmm. that they may take their lmp1 chassis to Le Mans this year given the bop and its reliability surely they would have a good chance at the overall win why hasn't this been considered by more privateer teams great well question. you're presuming yeah, you're presuming it hasn't been considered by more privateer teams. I think the answer here is, look, have I had conversations along these lines? Yes, I have, and more than one, um, where, to be blunt, uh, the, 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 the critical point for me was the point at which Signatech Alpine committed to doing this with the grandfathered LMP1. At that point, and not before that point, that became a compelling proposition. Why? Because Signatech Alpine uh, are looking to catch the eye of a major manufacturer, more to the point, a major French manufacturer. And therefore, if you're going to balance that car um, at Le Mans, you can't have that car being an embarrassment. It therefore has to be reasonably competitive against the hypercars that are coming in. At that point, you then get to the stage where the grandfathering process is going to be likely more sensible than otherwise it might have been if what you'd actually had was a bit of a ragtag band of privateers. This is not that. Neither is it a full house, you know, fully funded by uh, La Régie uh, Renault uh, factory. This is somewhere in between. But um, do I think they're serious? I wouldn't be at all surprised if they were serious. Uh, do I think they're ready yet? Well, they've only got a few days to be able to get their money down to get onto the reserve list. Uh, would I like to see it? Of course I'd like to see it. I'd love to see another car or two or three in the top class. Do I expect it will happen? They weren't very much in love with that car when they had it first time around. Uh, it might be a little bit of mischief. It might be just something they're putting out there to see whether or not somebody bites. Um, they have only got one car on the grid for the Le Mans 24 hours at the moment, uh, although I'm not sure yet which team is the partner for um, the PR1 Madison effort that will be coming um, to the uh, Le Mans 24 hours uh, this year. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see, hashtag wait and see, what comes out in this uh, in this reserve list. I think we might have a couple of surprises. I know of a couple of teams who definitely will be there on that reserve list. They've already told me they will be uh, putting in an application. Um, But uh, we'll wait and see who gets onto that list. And then we'll wait and see who actually makes the cuts in terms of getting there in the first place. We have seen teams fall by the wayside in recent years. There's been at least one or two outlier years where it didn't happen. Um, So I think if you are number one or number two on that list, there is reasonable hope much below that. Um, my guess is the commercial realities mean that you're unlikely to get the nod at that point. Serious question for you here, Graham. Of course. Why are cars grandfathered and never grandmothered? 
it's just the the entire complete uh, sexist attitude of the entire planet, and I blame. I'd, I'd like to blame Gerard Nouveau, but he's not here anymore, so we can't blame him anymore. Sorry, Gerard. No, it's it's an odd um, <laughs> sort of grandfather term, isn't it? It's one of those things. It's why do we uh, refer to some processes and some things either as male or female? Why are ships always female, for instance? Don't know. It's a straight answer. Um, same as same quite often as we talk about cars as being sometimes in a uh, with you know a female vernacular being used about it. But it's it it is an odd thing, isn't it? it? The way in which language determines you know a value towards something which it's sort of not earned through the process. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 it's your fault, which is why I'm asking. You came up uh, with the term. It's obviously my fault. I mean, it's not my grandfather's fault. I can tell you that. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's see. Where should we go next? You know, we have how many additional? Uh, we've got eleven non-highlighted questions we for Wackers and Melnjeko. You really pick and choose. Take right. your time. Do uh, your thing. Damien Peachman, Graham, how realistic is it for the six hours of food you will happen following the Suzuka 10-hour relocation? Um, I think the answer is we don't know yet. It is such a rapid-moving uh, picture. Trying to get people to races at the moment, it's causing me all sorts of headaches. Um, you know, Even as far as getting to people here to races in Europe right now, things are changing by the day. I think the answer is it sits on the calendar. Could it change? It could well change. What will they do if they change it? Well, I think that's the the basis of a, uh, a, a question a bit further down uh, from Phil at Safe Phil. Rumours abound, he says, regarding hashtag WEC events. Cards on the table, please. No, let's hashtag wait and see. Where do you hashtag me personally rate the chances of actually hosting a round in 2021 in the UK after all, WEC or ELMS? For as ELMS is concerned, no chance, I don't think. I don't think uh, without um, the... Um, a major change in the situation across Europe. I think we're at that stage looking at losing races rather than relocating races. WC, I would say no chance, but that uh, you know presumes that there won't be a plan B applied to replace should we lose something like a Fuji race. I think there is extremely little chance that we will see a race in the UK in 2021. Not sure I've seen those rumours or where those rumours have come from. It has certainly not been discussed with me in any way, shape or form. Uh, has Glicken House given any indication of their colour scheme? I think they have, haven't they? It's the red and white. I Never think, thought uh, of it. Yeah, I think I think it's red and white. I think it's the very alpha-looking uh, colour scheme that's going to be on the LMP, uh, sorry, the SCG 007. Um... That comes from Sean Crockett. Big Wiener at, at Let's Go Kings 15. Uh, any news on why Herbeth is taking a Ferrari to Le Mans instead of Porsche, whether just non-available? I believe that's probably the case. It's either non-available or non-available at a cost that the team were prepared to pay. It's so weird to see a Herbeth Ferrari. He needs to know why. Well, we'll ask you when we get there. I can tell you that one of the other teams that came out, the Asia Le Mans series, Inception Racing, um, a bit testing with Kessel Racing. There'll be another one taking a uh, Ferrari as 
Will. Um, Matt at uh, Hawkey Hawkins, 96, says, whatever happened to SMP in the LMP1 and LMP2 category in WC and Le Mans, any use of them potentially coming to LMH or LMDH? And I think someone else asked about whether or not we had any indication of something coming out of the link between SMP and Spiker that uh, might have suggested yeah, something. Yeah, we did recently. The, the, the answer is, I have heard literally nothing. Uh, I spent a full day um, at Donington Park last week uh, in a pit lane where there were three XSMP uh, LMP2 cars. The BRO1s are out there out to play. Bro. Um, and it's, it, I know. Uh, and, uh, and actually, there's a nice piece tomorrow on, uh, as we record this on Wednesday evening, on Daily Sports Car about one of the people that was there to test it and why he was there. Um, it, it, that, that, um, it's, just an, it's just a nice, neat and tidy kind of uh, story about historic racing uh, coming forward. Um, the, the answer on SMP is I don't know. It's a straight answer. Um, I've heard nothing other than that initial link between the Dutch um, boutique manufacturer that's a manufacturer of uh, small small manufacturer of cars rather way rather than someone who builds shops to sell clothes out of um, so no heard nothing no I've heard nothing about them coming back clearly their name has disappeared from the side of the AF Corsa cars now um, are they planning something if they are they're keeping it remarkably quiet um, but they were never the best at communicating externally outside of Russia in the first place. So uh, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world, uh, quite what brand they'd go with um, if it was Spiker. I'm not quite sure what what's in it for um, for SMP to do that unless they're taking controlling interest in that company. Uh, what else have we got? I've got um, one here and also maybe a little it. update as well. Uh, we have one from our pal Jacob Bame who opened the show. Uh, okay. He says this is his fifth attempt. So I'm going to read this and present this to you, and then okay. I'm, uh, I'm then going to make a bit of an executive decision. Uh, I don't think we're going to do resubmissions for a little while. Um, the last couple times where we said, if you really, really want it answered and you think this is something that everyone who listens to the show would really be truly interested in, send it back in. But other than that, please do a little bit of self-governing. That turned into the next week which was almost a hundred percent resubmissions and i was like okay uh i clearly did a bad job of explaining like okay uh all of a sudden we're going to end up with shows that are nothing but here's something you didn't answer because we always get at least 50 percent more submissions than we could get to in the time allotted so i'm going to answer jacobs since he says it's his fifth time which would be a record and then after this episode, until we put out the note that we're open for more, we're just going to stop doing resubmissions for a while. Uh, he says, which race will take up the RAC Tourist Trophy in absence of the six hours of Silverstone in the WC calendar? And will the six hours of Monza take over the Trofeo Filippo Caracciolo from the four-hour ELMS event as a spiritual world championship event and factual distance closer of 1,000 kilometers, successor to the 1,000 kilometers of Monza. He closes by saying, and I expect you to remember every single bit of what I just read okay. to compose into yep. an answer. He closes by saying, yes, I know it's a heap of metal and a plaque, but hashtag me personally, 
think sports car racing doesn't care about its record keeping enough, and that's part of it. We uh, rely on Jacob for the most obscure things. This, absolutely fantastic I believe, question, wins Jacob. an award uh, for uh, it. I have literally no idea. <laughs> it's the straight answer. Um, Taurus Trophy um, is what, what, one of the oldest, um, yes. uh, uh, the oldest trophies in motorsports and has gone to a variety of glitterati down through the years. The fact that we've got no um, long-distance endurance racing, international endurance racing in the UK uh, this year um, means that if it's going to go anywhere, it certainly won't go to uh, an endurance race. Uh, so I, it may be that it takes a bit of a miss this year. It might be that it goes to somebody in a different kind of formula. Um, who knows? As for the trophy at Monza, my guess is you may well be right. We are going to Monza for the WEC for the first time, and that would be a good call, wouldn't it? Uh, I tend to agree with you. Um, we're not very good stewards of history at the moment. The, um, the slings and arrows are outrageous. Commercial fortune have counted against that quite often. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to where are the significant uh, historical trophies uh, that are out there and should they be treated with a little bit more respect than we currently give to them? Things like the British Empire Trophy as well, uh, another one uh, here in the UK. But uh, don't know what the plans are for the RAC Taurus Trophy. I will make a note now. Listen, this is me making a note. RAC Taurus Trophy. If I get a chance to actually speak to the fine folk um, that look after that trophy, and I could, um, then we'll see what answer it is that we, they give us. Uh, on that front, but uh, the, you've got to say it needs to be an international race held in the UK, and there's not many of them this this uh, this year. Uh, certainly not in in the area of motorsport that I take an interest in. Um, is that us done with with that? It's up to you, mate. They're your questions. You grab uh, grab as many uh, as you want. Uh, one rather quick one from Jacob. Third attempt. <laughs> well, uh, I will, didn't we just finish off the mo- or are you or is this just the episode? The moratorium's yep. still open till we close the show. Work. Where can one find ELMS's view of figures from 2020? That's says I had no idea, uh, but I can ask the question. With Robert Kubica joining for 2021, I can already see a lot of uptake and interest. The Polish media like to track how big of an increase his fans will bring to the series. Also, a side question, can we expect a report on Asia Le Mans series figures going public as in previous years? I think the answer on the latter is yes, you can. Um, and from what little I know, from what we observed live and what I've heard since, they're very good. Um, and thank you for everybody that tuned in and interacted with us uh, through that season. Uh, ELMS, uh, there's a big push. Uh, that's all I'll say at the moment. There will be some news, I believe, about uh, ELMS and um, uh, something of a different uh, feel to some of the ELMS uh, publicity package this year. I think they know they need to give it a bit of a push and they are in the process of doing exactly that. Uh, so there will be, again, um, I think very similar options to uh, to take that into account, but they are going for a wider audience. So let's see what... Is that uh, a fat what... joke? Is, are you talking about me here? A wider audience? I, 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 I just... Goodwin. Yeah, I'd, but I'd say it to your face. You know I would. You know I would. My wide face. That's a you know, fair point. Can't, can't disagree with anything you said. Right. So we've got how long, MP? Just about 10 minutes? Uh, I have to call Chad Knauss in 28 minutes. So right. we've got less watch. than 28 minutes. 
But we've got, uh, if we add up here, we've got less than double figures in Herr General and Fun together. So let's see if we can work through them. What got a notebook, says Zach23, uh, for... The rumours that the Nürburgring 24 may simply not have the money to go ahead if no spectators. Could it really happen? And if so, what strange effect would this have on the NLS, which is the VLN and EDAC, which both seem set to continue? It wouldn't be a surprise, you know, if uh, if a major event completely fell for the lack of finance uh, to be able to run it. And with the way that things are going at the moment on con- continental Europe with COVID-19, you know, all bets are off. We've lost the Le Mans Classic this year. That will now take place next year and in 2023. Um, that is because it is not a sustainable event to run um, on the to the extent to which they run it without um, fans present. There will be a, what I suspect will be a behind-closed-doors event for competitors on the Bugatti circuit. That's a good indicator of the economies of scale that apply with a circuit at that kind of level. Remember, for the Nürburgring 24 hours, if you can have um, spectators there, you've got to steward it. You've got to marshal that entire circuit. You've got to cater for those people in terms of the uh, the food, in terms of the, um, the toilet facilities, all of that kind of stuff. All I heard be- was marshal, cater, and food. Yet another sure. attempt to make a fat okay. joke. Go ahead. <laughs> Park, car parking, emergency services, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's huge. So, am I telling you that I'm holding information in my back pocket that says it's not going to happen? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is. Don't be shocked if we do lose the odd event this year. I actually think in certain instances this year is tougher than last. Um, it's the it's almost the we've got more known knowns now. We know how tough it is to jump through the administrative hoops. And it wouldn't be at all a surprise to me to find the odd event here and there effectively turning around and saying, you know what, this is just too hard. It sounds like you're getting choked up a bit, mate. So uh... I'm going to go, go and mute this and go. And we're back. That was the most uh, racist thing I have heard in a really long time. Uh, okay, Damian Peachman, Marshall and Graham, how many single driver GT series you name or think of apart from DT? Well, yeah, I'm just reading what's presented. Um, okay. Damian the me- currently the, the me- word yeah, the me- saving. That's a great impression of the IMSA broadcast, by the way. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the Macau GT race is the first one that comes to mind. That's uh, that is single driver, and two are not dissimilar. Um, SRO uh, GT America World Challenge, America GT America World Challenge. That they they still have some single sessions, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah. So I'd put that one in there. Uh, sure. I th- yeah. Trying to think prototype wise, and I'm struggling with anything by way of prototypes. Um, I, do you have the option of being a single driver in the IMSA Prototype Challenge anymore? I certainly do not believe so. Uh, years ago, when there were multiple levels in that category, uh, multiple vehicles uh, conforming to different regulations we did where you had a the single uh a lawn technologies built it's basically a pro mazda open wheeler uh yeah. with fender you know with with fenders and bodywork oh, yeah. added coach work added to make it look like a little sporty car 
uh, back then, yes, but no, since it's been uh, morphed to all LMP tray, uh, no, there is obviously the requirement. It's meant to be training ground and to groom the uh, the future great uh, Leisure, sneaky bronzes Leisure. of the world. So Yeah, Leisure European Series, I know, uh, has the option to be a single driver, um, which is the third tier in the LMS package. That's certainly you can drive as a single driver. But not many, it has to be said. Uh, there are not many at all that remain on the international calendar uh, nowadays. Part of that is because you've got kind of pro-am and the opportunities there, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's a it's a fair question, Damien. Um, um, could, you take the ne- could you take the next one from Jacob, uh, yes. right? And I'll just mention this as well, which just proves how some of our listeners are just nuts. But we love <laughs> all of them, and especially you, Jacob. Uh, right. I think we're actually going to free up some time for young Jacob each week by stripping out resubmissions. He sent in 10, 10, 10 items today. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Right. It's a question about Je Je General. I thought, Herr General to MP. Recently, it came up on the, on the Prue day that it's supposedly Herr General and not Je General. The reason being, you heard the way Germans say the word general in war movies and liked it. <laughs> However, in the twiskenry, I put Hispanic like jet general because for hashtag me personally, it fits the pronunciation better. So because it's a matter of life and death, we did an official ruling. How should we spell the thing? Herr general or je general? So I love the pre-day. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I'm tired. This, I'm tired from reading it. Uh, hey, I had to read the one to you that had El Fopo, <laughs> Tripo, uh, Gigio, Digio, whatever that Jacob said. Um, I love the Prude. For those who don't know, it's this crazy band of listeners to the podcast. Uh, not just sports cars, but the IndyCar, whatever, whatever crap that uh, gets put out. Uh, they've just banded together, and uh, yes, uh, I love them. Jacob is a member, uh, as I understand. Um, and I love the fact that I am so damn predictable that they have indeed pegged exactly where this came from. The answer is hair, H-E-R-R, in general, G-E-N-E-R-A-L. So this is 100% from me being a lover of World War II movies and hearing Germans say the word general uh, and just liking it. So this is, it's as if someone asked me and I answered it and someone from the Prude was there to hear it and wrote it down. I mean, it is truly 100% spot on of why I pronounce our general section as Herr General or Herr General or whatever. It's just stolen from seeing too many World War II movies and hearing it over-pronunciated by whichever probably American actor uh, pretending to be German and just loving the -the over-the-top way it was pronounced. So it is indeed Herr, H-E-R-R, and with a G. So, yeah, Herr General. So Herr Herr General, or however the hell I pronounce it, because I don't think I pronounce it the same way twice. But yes, uh, you guys got me figured out pretty darn good. Yeah, I I completely agree, by the way. Another one, it's another, you know what? All the remaining questions in Herr General from Jacob Bain. Second attempt. (laughs) 
What, what, what is your second, your favorite race poster ever and why? No, yeah, we should, we should change it. Sec, since it's the second attempt and the final attempt, we should answer what is our second favorite race poster ever. Ooh. That's Ooh, actually maybe a harder one to come up with. Right. You, you want to go for this one first or let me have a crack? I do oh, have one I have in no mind. idea. I mean, I... I'm going to go for one. And, it's, and it's, it's actually not in any way pictorial. I've got some posters in the office and I love them. I've got a fantastic Michel Vion, um styled poster for um, the Spa 24 Hours when uh, Alex Zanardi uh, with uh, Bruno Spengler and Timo Glock did the race in a... Uh, Vion liveried uh, Z4 GT3. I've got a beautiful print that was sent to me by Andy Blackmore of one of his uh, GTD cars. And actually, the 50-year poster from IMSA um, with the variety of, of race cars, historic race cars, uh, on that poster is a big favorite of mine. But my all-time favorite is a Porsche poster. And it's the 1983 Nobody's Perfect po- uh, poster. Yes. If you've not seen this this is the list of one, the finishers one through ten at Le Mans that year, of which nine of the ten, I think it was the car that was ninth, was a Sauber, a BMW engine Sauber. And so it lists first Porsche, second Porsche, third Porsche, blah, 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 all the way down. So it's Porsche, 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 Sauber, BMW, Porsche. And the big block headline at the top is Nobody's Perfect. Why do I love that so much? because it's so on Porsche-like to basically go in your face, but do it with humor. Um, the, the, there's a lot of, uh, I, I, I do like a brand with brand values, but there are certain brands that perhaps at times take it a little bit too far. Porsche, I'm looking at you at times that just go a little bit too far in looking after that brand. And that was a wonderful example of just allowing the humor to come through with a bit of a bite, and I do love that. That's that's the kind of poster that uh, uh, you know, poster. It's, I think it was an ad rather than a poster, but uh, I'm not that that getting in the way of the point. Uh, you come up with on MP? No, and there's 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 so many. Well, yeah, something you all don't know because I've never mentioned it. Not because it's secret. I've just never had a reason or purpose to mention it. I have collected racing posters since I was eighteen. And I've never let any of them go. So I still have all of them. And I don't know what the number total number is, but it's a lot. And so I couldn't tell you because I have so many of the many things on my list to do. Uh, One of them is to gather all of my posters, take all of them out of the tubes and lay them all flat on a table somewhere so I can actually have an accounting of all that I have. And in many cases, I have multiple copies of many, uh, of of quite a few at least. So uh, not just which one do I like most, it's how many do I have of each as well to come up with how many I want to keep, how many I want to sell. It's, I could safely say, in the hundreds. So, yeah. That's something I'm going to have to look after here pretty darn soon. Um, I couldn't tell you, but I know that I love a lot of them. And uh, there are very few that suck. That I could say. I mean, not as if there aren't (laughs) sucky posters. Oh, there have been some sucky posters. Yeah, but it's not a case. uh, I can't think of many where I'm like, oh, that is just terrible. Been a little bit of uh, uh, virtual argy-bargy over a Lamar poster or two in recent years, especially this year. Uh, But... 
Yeah, uh, the, I can't answer the, it, the, but the, I will at some ones, point in time. The ones where you've got cars going the wrong way down a circuit, there, for instance, uh, are just a little bit odd. Um, Jacob Bain. Oh, surprise. Uh, I dare you. He double dares me. Explain in simple language what is horsepower, what is torque. Ah, what's the difference between the two? 50-word limit on each part has to be comprehensible enough so you'd be able to repeat it in a bar if necessary. I can. Um, the torque is the um, the amount of, of, of work. Uh, it's the energy, blah, blah, blah. It's, torque is the rotational force of the engine. It's, it's the amount of work that an engine can exert, whereas power horsepower is how quickly that that energy or that work can be delivered i think that's right is that right mm, not really but that's okay uh <laughs> torque <laughs> torque is the thing that makes since we're talking about sports cars makes vehicles accelerate from a standstill or quickly or hard while exiting a corner so torque is the leap forward power tends not to be super sustainable throughout the rev band so if you're thinking of sources of energy that are accelerants torque is the explosive energy but it tends to peter out once you get into the higher rev range horsepower is the overall amount of power uh, the vehicle is capable of delivering and tends to be the sustainable acceleration force. If you were plotting a graph, again, different engines deliver different things, but just general sense, if you were plotting a graph, you would see a big spike of torque, which then tapers down, and as that is tapering down, you would tend to see the horsepower number climb and keep going. So plotted over distance or time, that tends to be a pretty, I would hope, simple way of explaining the two different forces at play. So okay. turbocharged motors, this is an addendum, turbocharged motors tend to produce prodigious torque question depending upon how it's built and the rules if you have turbocharger lag that can certainly be something where while the vehicle possesses a great potential for explosive acceleration once the torque arrives there could be that dead space where not much happens waiting for the turbo to spool up and then it is the huge whack of acceleration Uh, but yes Pretty interesting. It's one of the main reasons, too, if we're applying real-world regulations, Graham. Thinking of LMP1 hybrid, even the upcoming LMDH, where they're talking about balance of performance and blah, 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 and how and when and where this electronic horsepower, the e-power, will be allowed to be delivered. We have seen, and I'm sure Jacob is full aware, and this isn't part of the 50 words. where We're after, over time here. Uh, we would have seen great efforts to minimize overtime or reduce or say, okay, only above 50 miles per hour or whatever KPH or in these rare, in whatever special circumstances we will allow you to deploy your full uh, electric horsepower. 
uh, as not to just completely destroy and embarrass the non-electric horsepower vehicles. So that is because you have instantaneous torque being provided uh, and can also be power, horsepower as well, or is horsepower as well. But the explosiveness, that torque side, that's the thing that we've seen has needed some management as sanctioning bodies have felt when hybridization has been brought in and the ability for these electric motors to just provide instant crazy acceleration uh, in the LMP1 hybrid era and to what we think is going to be a much lesser degree in the LMDH era. Uh, It's been all about, holy poop, let's make sure we don't have this uh, capability that these cars have totally ruin uh, racing against cars that don't have them in the case of the, the grandmothered LMP1s we spoke about very recently. Yep, there we go. Um, final question here, Gunnarell. What to- tools comes again, of course, from Jacob? Uh, what tools are usually aboard cars in series where drivers have to work for themselves with car brakes on track? Are there any rules governing what's permitted in the kit and what's not? You can't take heavy machinery. So uh, in LMP1, there's a specific. You can't put a lathe in there. Um, neither can you have one of those um, bandsaws. Bandsaws are completely out. Uh, other than that, more or less anything. So, you know, you can have a full CNC rig if you'd like one. Of course you can't. Uh, my, my recollection is it's very lightweight stuff. It's something like a kind of multi-tool, a leather man, maybe. Uh, there will be something that will allow, you know, some kind of fasteners, fastenings, if they, these things are in there, something where you can actually uh, remove the... Uh, bodywork, uh, so whether or not that's some form of kind of Allen key type uh, thing, pincers, etc., etc. But it will be uh, kept to an absolutely bare minimum because of the weight. Simple as that. Yes. Uh, not Wi-Fi mobile hotspots. Just a little. No, not want to reiterate that one. Uh, yeah. uh, no unless PlayStation Five. No. Uh, unless you're doing some sort of like recording some sort of live. TikTok video while yeah. qualifying. I think that's the that's only exception idea. to the rule. Yes. Uh, or maybe you're just, you know, maybe maybe your driver just suffered a bad breakup. Got to go into qualifying, still a little torn up emotionally. You know, want to check out some leads on, on Tinder. Uh, you know, uh, some of the various dating apps. Maybe, yep. you know, you need a, a little signal booster in the car for them to be able to do that. Swiping left. Swiping right as they turn left and turn right. I think that's also allowed. So uh, where are we going here, uh, Graham? Uh, as I think we're kind of sort of almost done. We're sort of almost done. I'll give finish with one more. It's from uh, What Got a Notebook, Zach. Uh, Twist for fun, he says, we're all reeling from the Herpeth Ferrari use. We've gone through this one already. What other examples are there of us while sporty car outfits wearing the wrong mark? And have they ever won a 24 or a championship? People who've switched. The one I can think of, they didn't win, but they did switch. And it, 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 it shocked me to my core, I think I can say, was uh, JMW. Um, long-standing Le Mans series LMS team. 
who switched from Ferrari, where they'd had big success with their 430, a car that um, Jim McWhorter still owns, to their Aston Martin for a single season. And it just wasn't very reliable at all. This was in the days of the Aston Martin GT2 rather than the, the later GTE version of the V8 Vantage. But uh, they switched for a single season of that car. Beautiful car. Um, almost completely crap, unfortunately. Uh, so that didn't work. And the other one, oddly, that came across the desk last week uh, with the news of the passing of Manfred Kramer was Kramer linked to her so long with Porsche I think was it 94, 95 something like that did Le Mans of all things with the Honda NSX um, and uh, completely out of character and again that wasn't a searing success either so um, the, the message I guess from both those examples and probably many many more besides is stick with what you're good at well, then I'd like to announce I'm shutting down the podcast. So um, <laughs> why don't you take us home? Let's do that. Um, well, here we are on a Wednesday evening after what I think we can all agree was at, uh, when we could watch it and listen to it was an entertaining 12 hours of Sebring. Thanks very much again for all the questions from all of you out there listening in as you do in increasing numbers every single week. Uh, we're going to say goodnight and we're going to say thank you to Cooper Tires. We're going to say thank you to the Justice Brothers and we're going to say thank you to TorontoMotorsports.com. But particularly thanks to you, the listeners. Thanks to you. Uh, Marshall Pruitt to Rocky to Rosie and uh, to everybody at Marshall Pruitt Towers uh, he's been Marshall Pruitt I've been Craig Goodwin we'll see you next week on the Week in Sports Cars part of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and stuff